Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You're listening to What I Wish I'd Known. Please be advised that in this episode, there are discussions of topics that some listeners may find upsetting. Hello and welcome to What I Wish I'd Known, in association with Speakers for Schools, the youth social mobility charity that provides inspirational speakers and work experience opportunities. I'm Alice Thompson. And I'm Rachel Sylvester. And in this podcast, we talk to extraordinary people who've lived astonishing lives, brushed with displacement, disease, financial ruin, abandonment, bereavement. And not only have they survived, but thrived. Loss and adversity are a part of life, but an imperfect past isn't always an indicator of what's to come. But why is it that often the people with the hardest beginnings in life become the most successful adults? And is there something to learn from these people who perhaps have the strongest sense of what matters most? In this series, we'll be speaking to a collection of remarkable individuals on how they achieved success in the face of adversity. And we'll be reflecting on some of our greatest interviews to date with new thoughts and revelations. Welcome to What I Wish I'd Known. In this episode of What I Wish I'd Known, we're taking a listen back to one of our favourite interviews with the business legend Richard Branson. Best known for founding the Virgin Group in 1970, Richard began by opening a chain of record stores named Virgin Records. And today, Virgin Group controls over 400 companies in various fields, from a record label to space tourism. But despite being a billionaire, Richard has come up against challenges in his life. From primary school, Richard reflects on having difficulty concentrating on what his teachers taught him from the blackboard as he yearned to play outside with his peers instead. His teachers had little sympathy for him, even beating him. And it was only much later, at the age of 29, that he found out he was, in fact, living with severe dyslexia. Well, I, I got beaten for, for not performing. I mean, in those days, it was, you know, pyjama bottoms down and, and, and a stick, and, and, and it, was, it was, you know, you know either by the housemaster, the headmaster, or, 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 the, or the school prefect. But, but then, uh, you know, I've also got gonged off at school, which in front of, in front of the school. I mean, you know, they're, they're, those are uh, uh, unpleasant moments for any kid. I can't even remember the word dyslexia being mentioned at all at my school. I don't even know that it was discussed or whether it was invented as such as a, as a, as a syndrome. I said to my wife uh, when I was about 29, uh, you know, do you, do you think I have ADHD? And, and, and she said, only when you're talking to me. And, and, and then said, uh, but you do have some kind of syndrome that uh, I suspect hasn't been invented yet. So anyway, on, on the back of that, I went, and, I went and got myself tested for dyslexia. Despite the challenges that Richard faced from dyslexia, he refers to it as a blessing and recounts many occasions where his dyslexia actually helped him as an entrepreneur. 
From leaving school at the age of 15, where he started his first venture with Student Magazine, to being able to delegate tasks more efficiently, to scale his business at a faster speed, dyslexia helped him each time. In fact, he refers to it at one point in the interview as a superpower throughout his life, both in terms of his creativity, but also the way in which he relates to people. But of course, there have been a few times where his dyslexia didn't serve him quite so well. I had to learn to skydive when I was trying to fly around the world in a hot air balloon, because if something goes wrong at you know, 30, 35,000 feet and you jump out of the balloon and you pull the parachute straight away, because the air is so thin, the parachute will rip, rip off your back. So I jumped and you're meant to take your right hand and then on three occasions, you bring it down to the lever to open the parachute. And there's two levers there, <laughs> one that opens the parachute and one that gets rid of the parachute. And anyway, in a, in a very typical, uh, uh, it's a sort of typical thing that dyslexics can do, not, not all dyslexics are as foolish as I am. I, got, I, I pulled the lever that got rid of the parachute, not the one that opened the parachute. So what struck you most, Rachel, about this interview? Because it's the only one where I couldn't be there. What I thought was so fascinating is he talks about his dyslexia as a superpower. He feels that it's given him a different way of looking at the world. The way in which his brain works is different to other people. And that makes him more creative. It makes him connect with his employees better. He says that he has to delegate because he knows that there are things that he can't do. In some ways, it makes him a better boss. And you know a lot about dyslexia, Alice, because you've written about it a lot. What did you think? So my uh, mother was actually a teacher for dyslexic children and my brother was very dyslexic and I'm slightly dyslexic, but she also had a publishing company. So I didn't really have any expertise as a journalist apart from dyslexia, which is almost like my superpower journalistic experience. I can probably do mastermind on it because children were coming in and out of my house when I was a child and they all had dyslexia. And I do think there is a sense of it being a superpower or it doesn't always happen like that. But I think you often have a different sort of mind. You can be more creative. Often they have a very 3D mind dyslexia, which I think is rather phenomenal because you can see the patterns working in different ways. And the entrepreneurs are just looking at questions and, and answers in completely different formats from other people. And I think that's fascinating, really. And I also thought it was really interesting that uh, Richard Branson talks about how hopeless the education system is in Britain at drawing out all those different skills and that it only judges children on the basis of a very narrow set of academic criteria. So he was made to feel like a total failure throughout his school career. But of course, he's been phenomenally successful. And in fact, James Dyson, the entrepreneur who we also interviewed, the inventor, makes very similar points that if you want to create the next generation of entrepreneurs, we need to encourage creativity at school. Well, that's the best thing he did was when he sold budgies and Christmas trees, that, that gave him a yearning to make money. And, and also, I think then you get some respect from your peers for doing something. So it's very hard with something like dyslexia, isn't it, to pick apart what's the dyslexia and actually what's being other or different. And that determination that you've got to succeed despite what's going on. Often success comes from originality and people who are dyslexic have a very original way of thinking. What's really important is to see that as a success and not as a failure and not to kind of pigeonhole children. In this episode of What I Wish I'd Known, entrepreneur and creator Richard Branson tells us his story of how he scaled the business world and became a millionaire at the age of 23. And a billionaire at the age of 40. 
I connected with Richard in 2022 and he reflected on whether optimism is key to success. Being an optimist it, it is, is a hell of a lot more fun than being a pessimist. <laughs> I, I, I think it, as a leader, it, it's so much better to look at, at, at people in an optimistic way, look for the best in people, you know, praise people, just generally be, be, be positive with people. And, and that brings the best out of people. And I, you know, over the years, I think I've had over a million people who've worked for Virgin companies in one form or another. And, and I like to think that they look back at their years at Virgin with, with a lot of fondness. And I think that that's part of the reason why. And do you sometimes wish you were better at saying no? Has saying yes ever gone wrong? Saying yes has gone horribly wrong on many an occasion, <laughs> in, including, I think, in my new book, I've talked about the 75 ways I came close to leaving this beautiful earth. But life has been a hell of a lot more fun because I've said yes than because I've said no. I, when I was 16, I brought out a magazine called Student Magazine. And let me see if I can remember it. On the back of the magazine, I say I, I printed, the brave may not live forever, but the cautious do not live at all. And, and I think I've, I've lived by that mantra ever since. And, and, I, and, and I've had a lucky star up above that has you know, gu- guided me home on some perilous occasions. But, but life's been, yeah, well, it's been one hell of a ride. And things might have been very different, though, mightn't they? And we want to take you back to your childhood, actually. And what were your earliest memories of school? My earliest memories of school was was looking at a blackboard and just seeing a mumbo jumbo and 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 relegating myself to the back of the class so I could at least try to look over somebody else's shoulder to see if I could get some marks but but having no understanding of what was going on on the blackboard longing for break time so that you know the one thing i was good at was sport uh, so, so i could get out and play but, but basically you know dyslexia hadn't been uh invented that yet or the, you know people didn't realize we people just assumed that we were uh you know the, 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 stupid and i was definitely bottom of the class and and uh when I, when I was interested in something, I think I started to excel. I mean, I would go to the library and I would, uh, uh, you know, I was fascinated by what was going on in the world, the Vietnamese War, the Biafran War, the provost marching in Holland. Uh, 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 and and uh, so, you know, what was going on in the real world, I was fascinated about. But uh, the kind of stuff that we were taught at school, I saw no relevance you know, French, nobody ever learned French and nobody ever does learn French today, but you know, schools continue to teach you French and you people come out, you know, not being able to speak it. And, 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 and you know, if you, look, if you look at every single class that we were taught, for most jobs, it, it's, they're, they're fairly irrelevant in this day and age. And, uh, and I think these, these, these kinds of classes continue because the teachers are the ones that most likely decide whether or not uh, you know, you should drop French for Spanish or, or something or, 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 you know, or a language that is easier to learn and, and, and relevant to relevant to society. Uh, and, you know, that happened all those years ago when I was a kid, uh, 65 years ago when I was at school. And but sadly still seems to happen today that, you know, what, what is being taught at school for many kids is not particularly relevant to, mm. to their lives ahead. And did you always struggle with the basics, reading and writing? 
yes, I, I, uh, I, I, I mean, dys- dyslexia comes out in different ways with different people, uh, but I would definitely uh, jumble jumble things up, uh, and uh, and you know, over over time, I think I've overcome you know most aspects uh, that I that I was suffering from in those early days, but uh, basically by you know by <laughs> by quitting school early uh and you know getting 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 out and doing things that interested me and uh and you know something really interests interests me i i i can excel at it and and i, I have a thirst for thirst for knowledge and a thirst for what's going on in the world and i you know i like to know you know everything that's going on in ukraine i like to know uh you know when, when i was younger everything that was you know going on in the vietnamese war or everything that was going on in 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 uh, every aspect of the world and uh and i suppose but you know because of my thirst for knowledge on on subjects that fascinated me that uh helped me overcome sort of re- reading difficulties and writing difficulties but I, I it was a self self-taught mm. way of dealing with it and were there any moments of real humiliation when you had to read out loud or go to the front of the class uh yeah, I mean, I I got uh, well, I I got beaten for for not performing. I mean, in those days, it was you know pajama bottoms down and 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 a stick and 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 it was it was you know part of, you know either by the housemaster, the headmaster, or or, or the or the school prefect. But but then uh, you know I also got gonged off at school, which in front of in front of the school. I mean, you know th- th- those are uh, uh, unpleasant moments for any kid. Uh, but you know, for me, it was it was strangely the best thing that happened to me. I mean, it just meant that, you know, at fifteen, I decided that 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 the world needed a magazine run by young people, aimed at young people, uh, that could debate issues like this, uh, that could uh, give young people a voice, that could say we don't want to waste our time, uh, uh, you know, uh, just having a completely exam orientated society we, we should be taught things that are relevant and interesting so i worked out of the school phone box uh you know i didn't have any money but but selling advertising to coke or pepsi or banks or anybody that i thought might be interested in getting to young people and once i got the three thousand pounds of pledges from advertisers to uh, print up my first fifty thousand copies of the magazine. I went and saw the headmaster and said, uh, "I'm I'm uh, planning to launch the magazine." And he and and in a typical headmasterish way, he said, "Well, you know, you can either st- not do the magazine and 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 and, and concentrate on your schoolwork, uh, or you can do the magazine and leave school." And I said goodbye, <laughs> and and, and uh, went went home that night to see my parents and. Uh, I remember walking walking around the garden a few times with my dad, and uh, uh, and at the end of the walk, he said, "Look, you know there aren't many kids who would know what they want to do at twenty one. You know what you want to do at fifteen. Good on you. And if you if it doesn't work out and you need to get an education again, we'll do our best to uh, to to help you later on in life." And uh, so very very supportive of parents. And didn't the headmaster on your last day say you'd either be a millionaire or in prison? Have you spoken yeah, to him since he, he became a billionaire? <laughs> he, 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 just a funny story. He wrote to me one day when I, when I, 
you know, had started doing r- relatively well and, and said, would I sponsor a new girls college at the school? And um, there was girls dormitories at the school, the place, place where they were going to live. And, and I wrote back thinking the best way of getting out of this was to say, if you name it after my company. And, and I had, had nothing more from him for another 10 years. And then, and then 10 years later, he said, how much you regretted not just writing back and saying yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, he was good enough to acknowledge that, that the boy had done okay. Mm. And, uh, and um, uh, yeah. And when did you realise you were dyslexic? When did you get that name put on it? You know, I didn't uh, test myself for dyslexia uh, until I was in my twenties, and I and I was just I was just interested in uh, you know why why I did certain things in a, in a slightly strange strange way. Oh, that's uh, fascinating. Remember, so the teachers had no idea at all. You'd never knew when you were at school. No, I, I don't. I don't. I can't even remember the word dyslexia be, being mentioned at, at all at my school. I don't even know that it was discussed or whether it was invented as such as a as a, as a syndrome. Right. My my. I said to my wife uh, when I was about twenty nine. Uh, you know, do you, do you think I have ADHD? And and um, she said only when you told me to me. And 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 then said. Uh, but you do have some kind of syndrome that uh, I suspect hasn't been invented yet. So anyway, on, on the back of that, I went and I went and got myself tested for dyslexia. And what did it show? It just showed that uh, that I was dyslexic. You know, it 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 it, it took me a few years to realise, uh, you know, that a lot of a lot of my positives I think came from from me being dyslexic. Uh, you know, the fact that I was dyslexic meant that from a very very young age, I became a really good delegator. I found fantastic people to surround myself with. You know, in in launching the magazine, you know, I needed, uh, you know, I needed great people because otherwise the magazine would have been full of spelling mistakes. And and uh, and, you know, I, I found myself interviewing people that were very eloquent, uh, so that I didn't have to do a lot of verbiage between uh, the words of the person I was interviewing and and the page. So. You know, I, I managed to interview Jean-Paul Sartre and R.D. Lang and Vanessa Redgrave. And uh, anyway, the whole, the whole, I mean, the, the wonderful thing about running a magazine for young people was, you know, you know, it, uh, it opened doors to James Baldwin when, when he came to England, bang, banged on his hotel door and got a, uh, a, 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 a very angry uh, interview against the white man as much against maybe myself for waking him up as uh, as uh, as his general his general approach. But uh, yeah, so the so the so I think it taught it taught it taught me to it taught me to delegate. I think I've been you know I think one of the, the great strengths of a good entrepreneur is learning early on the importance of delegation. And and most entrepreneurs are not good delegators. They like to do everything themselves. Mm. Um, and uh, and and I, you know when I when I give advice to uh, young entrepreneurs who are setting up in business, that you know I'll tell them look, try to put yourself out of business as early as possible. Find somebody better than yourself, and then you can you can think about the bigger picture. And and I think as a dyslexic, I, you know I I'm good at seeing the bigger picture. The big, you know, and you know up until quite recently, dyslexia was seen as uh, a negative, and uh, and what 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 
of, of Kate uh, and myself um, who've been involved in in you know trying try to try you know, to, an organization called made by dyslexia uh, trying to uh, get across to kids and people who are dyslexic is is it something to be celebrated it's fascinating uh, that link, LinkedIn has added dyslexic thinking to its recognized list of skills hasn't it do you see it as a skill when you're looking for for new employees do you do you actually set out to recruit dyslexics yes I mean I think you know we with we, the, the uh, uh, dyslexic thinking. We were we were delighted that LinkedIn took took it on board. We've also encouraged the word dyslexic thinker to be put behind somebody's name. So you know, if you put, if you if you if you if you have your name on LinkedIn or or anywhere, just put 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 dyslexic thinker after it and and be proud of it. You know, I had a grandchild who very young who just didn't diagnose as dyslexic, and I was I was able to to ring him up and and you know. Uh, celebrate and just say you know, <laughs> some, you know, some, something that you and I have got that the rest of the family doesn't have and and you know so and you know so I think it's good to know that you're dyslexic and and particularly in this current in the current educational system they, they give certain advantages to people who are dyslexic and a bit, bit more time in exams and things like that but but it's something which you know what I what I tell parents is you know you know, work out what what your child is really good at, and 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 let them follow that path, and and the rest will catch up. I mean, you can give them extra, you know, extra help, but you know, let them excel at excel at the things they enjoy. They 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 have joy from, and they enjoy. Greta Thunberg describes her Asperger's syndrome as a superpower, doesn't she? Do you see your dyslexia as that kind of superpower? <laughs> Uh, yes, I mean there are occasions where uh, where, where uh, you'd rather wish you didn't have it, but uh, but uh, by by and large, I would say yes, it is a superpower. Um, when's it you know, come, said, when it, when's it been a disadvantage? Um, well, uh, I had to learn to skydive when I was trying to fly around the world in a hot air balloon because if something goes wrong. It, you know, 30, 35,000 feet and you jump out of the balloon and you pull the parachute straight away because the air is so thin, the parachute will rip, rip off your back. So you have to skydive from 35,000 feet down to 10,000 feet before you open your parachute. And because I've done a lot of adventuring in my life, the skydiving team assumed that I didn't need to go on the back of somebody and they told me just to jump, jump, um, jump solo. And, uh, and I jumped and and you're meant to take your right hand and then on three occasions you bring it down to the lever to open the parachute and there's two levers there <laughs> one that opens the parachute and one that gets rid of the parachute and anyway in a, in a very typical uh, uh it's a sort of typical thing that dyslexics can do not not all dyslexics are as foolish as I am I got I, I pulled the lever that got rid of the parachute not the one that opened the parachute so what and happened so, uh, there, there was one other person who jumped out um, and was coming down with me and he actually would, had watched where my hand was going and he did a sort of a little bit of a superman uh, dive in and and managed to pull the spare 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 little chute uh, so, so it would save, oh saving me yet again. Yet again. <laughs> so your dyslexia but, um, almost killed you, in fact. Well, I, I don't want—I I, I don't want to put 
people off from employing <laughs> dyslexics because I'm, 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 I think I'm an extreme, that's one of the extreme ways it comes, comes out with me. I mean, when, when I actually was doing the Atlantic or the Pacific balloon crossings, there would be, uh, you know, big signs on certain levers just aimed specifically at me and not at Pearl Instrand, who was my fellow balloonist, just saying, uh, no, they would actually, they would seal them up and then and they, there would be jokes about, we, we, should, we should really have a dog on board to bite Richard if his hand goes anywhere near these particular right. <laughs> But anyway, so, by, but, but, you know, that, 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 that's one of the extreme downsides. By and large, it's been a, uh, it, it's, it's been a, a, de- a delight being dyslexic. What about uh, in business? Because you've never been very good at net, the difference between net and gross profit, have you? Yeah, so interestingly, I was 50 years old when I was having a board meeting and uh, and by then we had maybe, maybe the largest private group of companies in Europe. And and, uh, and and I asked the question when somebody gave some figures in the board meeting, is that good news or is that bad news? And, <laughs> and they, one of the directors takes me out of the room and says, Richard, you know, I've known you for years now and I, I've never really d- dared ask you, but uh, am I right in thinking you don't know the difference between net and gross? And I said, well, I've never been able to admit it, but um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's the case. <laughs> You're listening to What I Wish I'd Known in association with Speakers for Schools with Rachel Sylvester and me, Alice Thompson. There'll be more from us just after this. 
uh, in the things that I create surviving. Um, and, uh, and so somebody else will, you know, tr uh, will add up the numbers at the end of the year and tell me whether the business is still going to survive. Um, but my, you know, my approach is if you create the best uh, company in the world, um, that it will survive. Um, I mean, if you say take, you know, Virgin Atlantic was 38 years old uh, yesterday and 38 years ago yesterday, we flew with one secondhand 747 across the Atlantic. Um, everybody thought we were mad. I mean, we were taking on British Airways, 300 planes, TWAs, 300 planes, Pan Ams, 300 planes, People Express, 200 planes, Air Florida, you know, 50 planes and so on. And uh, and if I'd gone to some accountants and asked them to do some figures to see whether it was a good idea to go into the airline business, there's no question they would have told me, no, I mean, it's, it, you, you'll never survive. But if you can create the, be the best in, in the class and if you can motivate your team to really believe in what you're doing and uh and if you do it differently than the bigger the bigger boys uh then 38 years later you know through crises after crisis whether it's 9 11 or or covid or whatever somehow or another you'll survive and and uh you, you may not make you know as much money as you know as there's the tech companies or whatever but you just you just you know if you if you passionately believe in something and you've and your team passionately believe in it and you really genuinely deliver something of great quality and then then the figures will add up and 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 the, and and the only importance about figures is you know can you pay the bills at the end of the year and and, and so it doesn't really matter if you failed elementary maths as i did at, at school those years ago and somebody else can add up the figures. I've got to just deliver a product, you know, that it, that, 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 that exceeds expectations. Mm. Uh, do, you, do you still you know, see yourself as a sort of disruptor and an outsider? Because you've got the knighthood and the island and the billions, but do you still see yourself as as a kind of anti-establishment figure? <laughs> we still love uh, we still love to tilt at uh, you know big companies, and uh, you know, so we've just launched. Virgin Voyages, a, a cruise company, uh, taking on you know some enormous enormous cruise companies in the world, and we've we've launched in the Caribbean and we've launched in uh, the Mediterranean, and uh, and so you know we, at the moment we have uh, two with three boats coming, again you know competing with much much larger companies, but but I think we've learned we've you know we've learned through doing the same thing in other industries that it, that, that it is possible to be. A David versus a Goliath, and 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 survive and and and, and pay the bills at the end of the year. Mm. The Sex Pistols recently reissued "God Save the Queen" for the Platinum Jubilee, and there's been lots of coverage about that era. You were involved with them the first time round. Do you, do you see the recent drama documentary series? What did you think of it? Did it make you nostalgic? I, I didn't see the the recent drama series on the Sex Pistols, but I, 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 I'm looking forward to seeing it. But um, but I was, I suppose, very much part of the trauma of the Sex Pistols all those years ago. Yeah. Um, again, I, I don't look back a lot, but um, the, the, the Sex Pistols were uh, really propelled, propelled um, Virgin from being a sort of hippie company into being, you know, a punk company. So what happened with the Sex Pistols court case? 
so we were being prosecuted for the word uh, bollocks, um, never mind the bollocks, yes, the sex pistols. Um, and, um, uh, and John Mortimer, the playwright, was also a QC. Um, and he rang me up and said, look, you, could you ring up and see if he could find a linguistics expert? Um, and so I rang up uh, Nottingham University's linguistics expert, um, which was the city we were being prosecuted in. And he answered the phone and he said, um, I told him the problem and he said, what a, what a load of bollocks. He said, they <laughs> ob- ob- obviously think, think that uh, bollocks is a, deri- a derivative of bulls. Um, it's nothing to do with that. Um, uh, bollocks was the nickname given to priests in the 18th century. So the album really should mean never never mind the priests. Yes, yeah, the sex pistol. <laughs> or uh, he said, since priests were apt to talk a load of rubbish, n- um, never mind the rubbish, here's the sex pistols. Um, so I couldn't, <laughs> believe, couldn't believe my luck and, and said, Could, would you mind coming along to uh, court to, to tell this story? And, uh, and he said, look, I happen to be a priest myself. Would you like me to wear my dog collar? So, <laughs> uh, so we had this linguistics expert in his dog collar. Um, <laughs> the judge reluctantly found us all not guilty. So. But did the sex pistols mind then being associated with the church and the priests? <laughs> Uh, that you know they, 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 as as you can imagine uh you know people like john Lydon and 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 the others they're just nice lads they were just having having a real fun time at the expense of at the expense of the national press really it was, it was they, 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 they were they were charming to him and he was charming to them fascinating you started your first business when you were 11 weren't you breeding and selling budgies maybe it should be virgin birds i don't know but what happened and what did you learn from that experience <laughs> well i was already thinking of leaving school and i knew i needed some money uh if i was to leave school my parents uh didn't have you know anything spare they had enough to look after us and so uh, you know i was i was just trying to come up with one or two ideas where, which i thought would uh, make it make us a bit of money so I could leave school early. And the, the, there were two ideas I had. One was I heard that budgerigars bred enormously quickly, and uh, so I, I bought a few pairs of budgerigars. Uh, and the Christmas trees uh, you could you could buy a thousand tiny little Christmas trees for three pounds, and that you know if you waited five years and when they were six foot tall, you could you could get a good return. Anyway, with both of them. Uh, the Christmas trees got eaten by the bunnies, and, <laughs> uh, and somehow or another the rats got in and ate the budgerigars. Um, oh, no. uh, um, or, or my mother let them out. I'm not quite sure which. Um, <laughs> we got fed up with feeding them. But when I was away, but uh, anyway, they, they were they were both object failures. Uh, what did they teach me? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I I, I don't think I was passionate about either of those two i was passionate about the magazine when i when i left school to launch that and i think it i think the important the important thing is whatever you do you've got to be passionate about it and it's not just you 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 being passionate it's it's the team of people around you being passionate if you were education secretary or prime minister what would you do to change the education system i think that um, we need an education system that um where Every, every young person is uh, set um, to set up to thrive in life um, and, uh, and, and, and certainly not just thrive as a result of having good, good exam marks. Um, the, um, 
we need an education system where um, people listen to the voice of young people and um, uh, realize that uh, education needs a radical reshaping of learning. Um, uh, And uh, and ideally, I think uh, we need an education system that... um, that doesn't that that doesn't actually um, entail exams. I, I mean, you you talk to so many teachers and uh, and pupils, and they say that you know the sad thing is that they 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 have to spend all their time just concentrating on on cramming people to get their, get exam results rather than um, uh, teaching uh, people things that are re- really re- relevant in life. Um, uh, I think we need companies that. Um, uh, that, uh, you know, I, I hope and think uh, that Virgin Group no longer asks people for exam results. And I think um, uh, other companies um, should should do the same. Um, you, you know, one, one should talk to people about their personality, about, you know, what's going on in the world, um, uh, you know, how good they're going to be, you know, with motivating people and inspiring people and, um, uh, you know, their interests and so on. Um, and and not concent- not concentrate on um, on on exam results. You know, over over ten years at school, you could you could be given marks for you know personality and other 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 you know other 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 issues rather than um, than than whether you're good at cramming knowledge. Mm. Yes, how do we create the next generation of entrepreneurs with our education system? I think if somebody knows they knows they want to be an entrepreneur. And has an idea that's going to make uh, make people's lives better. Um, most likely, they'll learn as much as they need to know by just getting on and doing it. I mean, it would be great if schools could have let, let let them, you know, run their business whilst they're at school, so that if their idea fails, they can fall back on, um, you know, they, they can continue their educational their, their education. But if they, if the school won't let them do that, I suspect that they should just leave school and get on and and um, uh, and learn in the real world, and 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 that's something that that is also an incredible educational system. Um, do we I mean, need we, to uh, do we need to embrace failure a bit more vigorously? Uh, we we certainly need to embrace failure um, because you learn so much through failure, um, and um, and uh, the the you know there there are so many entrepreneurs who failed once or twice before they went on to become really successful and and uh, you learn an enormous amount enormous amount from failure and your mother eve sounds an extraordinary person she's a former ballet dancer actress and air hostess how great an influence was she on you and your business career she actually helped you I set s- up didn't she to begin with <laughs> Yeah, she was. I mean, I, I, like every, every everybody's mum and dad, she a massive influence. Uh, uh, yes, she helped me get 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 going. I told mentioned that we I did a lot of telephone calls from a school phone box, and I needed coins <laughs> to, for for the box, and uh, and she found a necklace and handed it in to the police, and nobody claimed it, and and she sold it for hundred pounds and gave me the money to help me you know, helped me get the magazine up and running. And that literally was, you know, the, the funding that we we that we got for the Virgin Empire. And as it turned out, we still, you know, still all these years later, still own 100% of, of, of that top company. And and so it is possible to start a, to start a company with very little if, 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 you know, if you're able to get 
the advertising in advance as we did and 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 then and then get the sales and, and get people to like what you're doing but she yeah she you know would try to make extra monies from homes selling sort of table mats and and the like to Harrods and Harvey Nichols and and uh, you know she 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 did every every which way to try to supplement supplement money in the family she wasn't a successful entrepreneur uh, but she you know, she would say yes to everything in the same way that I suppose I say yes to everything. Uh, she would, you know, she famously shoved me out of the car age five or six and told me to make my own, own way to Granny's house, which was, you know, four or five miles away. And, you know, she would have got arrested today, but um, but I survived and 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 and, uh, and I'm grateful to her for making us stand on our own two feet from a, from a young age. And, and she she took that approach. She was willing to take risks in order to make sure that we stood on our own two feet. And you once told us that there's a very thin line between success and failure and that there were some occasions when you came very close to being on the wrong side of that dividing line. Do you think you're very lucky or are you very resilient or very self-reliant or all of those things? <laughs> <laughs> we have had a wonderful team and have a wonderful team around me. I mean, I, you know, I expect the closest we got was when we, when I came back from America and uh, on Virgin Atlantic and the bank manager was sitting on my doorstep and we'd had a technical problem with one of our engines and we went, uh, you know, we went over our overdraft limit and, and this was on a Friday and he told me he was going to uh, bring the whole Virgin group crashing down on, on the Monday and uh, and I had a wonderful guy called Ken Berry who worked for me and he rang everybody over the weekend that we had contacts with around the world and d- who distributed our, by then we had a record company and uh, they all were willing to help by paying a little bit of money up front to, to make sure that, that we kept the kept the kept the airline on the road and kept the record company on the road. So, so I think uh, you know it's it's partly personal resilience, it's partly uh, just surrounding oneself with uh, fantastic people, and and uh, and if you have a great group of people, you can enjoy the good times and you can help each other get through the bad times together obviously covid was a a torrid time uh, we were in all the wrong businesses and uh, but having a fantastic group of people just putting our heads down uh determinedly determined to prove the critics wrong we all all, all the virgin companies uh, came, came out ahead and but it's just as always down to great great people and how worried are you about the economic situation now is it do you feel it's back to the 70s with all the strikes and flares and uh it's well it's obviously sad to see what's happening in the world right now i mean you know obviously ukraine is just uh, i mean i i fought hard and spoke out hard against the vietnamese war and the uh, the iraq war and the libyan in war and uh and and they were self-perpetuated wars from the west uh and now seeing russia do the same thing and worse uh, in ukraine uh makes one want to weep and and the effects of that have been devastating on the you know the price of oil for uh, everybody and, and therefore the cost of living uh nobody nobody will say it in if you talk about the uk you know obviously brexit's had a negative effect and not being part of the common market is going to affect people in britain much more than they realize but and it's already affecting people enormously in britain and uh, our, our companies overseas are doing a lot better because you know they, they can tr- trade more freely with Europe. 
Mm. And what do you think our political leaders can learn from business? Are there attitudes that we should see more of in politics? I think that it's tough being a politician. Um, uh, I mean, really tough. Um, uh, the uh, you, you know, you may be you're, you're in your job for you know two or three years. I mean, you may be a politician all your life, but generally speaking, you're in your you're, you're, you're minister of education for a year, you know a couple of years. You're then minister of something else, and so on. You're, 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 by the time you've learned it, you're, you seem to be moved on. Uh, whereas you know, I've been 55 years uh, traveling the world in business, and you know, I think I've learned uh, learned an incredible amount in that time. And so, I'd, so I think business people can sometimes see see situations more clearly than uh, somebody who's only you know only been in been in the job for a couple of years. And I think it's important for politicians to uh, and for business people to help each other and and for business people to make suggestions to politicians and and uh, and you know if possible give them really good ideas on a plate as to how to fix fix things and uh you know if there if there is for instance a better way of uh of 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 uh, damaging russia without damaging the west you know when it comes to oil uh, if we as business people can see a way you know we should we 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 should go and you know go and see the politicians about it and 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 propose propose a new approach and 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 that's and 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 then politicians need to be receptive and good listeners and and i think being a good listener is important you know for business leaders for politicians for everybody uh, and 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 that's a that's a very very important skill for for um, any any leaders to have Mm. And you're in your 70s now. Do you ever think that you've done enough and maybe it's time to get, stop? Or are you always looking for the next project? You seem to be always kind of pushing yourself, whether it's jumping out of planes <coughs> or hot air balloons or whatever. So most of my time is spent on uh, on the, our foundation work. And so, uh, you know, so we have a wonderful group of organ uh, that you know we, we set up with Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Tutu and Mary Robinson called the elders and and they go into conflict regions and try to try try to tackle conflicts they you know speak out on climate change issues anyway they they use their moral authority to you know to try to get change in different areas of the world and and uh, and as as an advisor to the elders I, I and, and a number of other wonderful people, we 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 do our best to help, um, and we set up a, a number of organisations like that: the B Team, uh, the New Now, which is the younger version of the Elders, um, the Carbon War Room, which is now working with the Rocky Mountain Institute to try to uh, get as much carbon out of out of the atmosphere as possible. Um, involved in the Global Drug Commission, which is working very hard to try to uh, get countries to treat. Uh, drugs as a health problem, not a criminal problem. And interestingly, Britain, for, uh, for instance, since this, this going is going out in Britain, is is perhaps the worst in doing that. Um, uh, you know, uh, other countries are, are, are generally far ahead on that and are not beginning not to criminalise their young people, but but help them. Um, and so, using 
you know, using my voice to be able to pick up the phone, the fact that I can get through to, you know, pretty well anybody. And it would be a, a, a pity to waste that, that the position I find myself in if I passionately um, believe in something. Mm. And what about space? Is that the next frontier? I would love to know what it was like when you went up to space in your rocket and whether how real is your rivalry with Elon Musk because actually he said he's now bought a ticket on your spaceship hasn't he he has and he's a friend and he, he came along uh, and surprised me with uh, you know, when, I, when I woke up to go to space that day he was he was there with this baby in the kitchen <laughs> um, they they um, which was which was very sweet and uh, and 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 that the kind of thing that rivals, you know, we, we should be friends in the evenings, I suppose, and, and night times, but competing hard in the day. Um, but um, it was the most extraordinary day of my life. Um, it was definitely a pinch pinch me moment. I mean, the biggest pinch me moment of my life. Uh, absolutely fantastic to have had my grandkids and kids there, despite COVID. Um, uh, and uh, and every second was. Uh, a, a dream fulfilled, which I'd had since, you know, since um, being a teenager and and um, watching um, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and um, and standing there looking up at the moon and realizing they were standing on the moon. It was as a kid, it was just extraordinary. Uh, and it's, it was so lovely to be able to inspire other kids, um, another a, a new generation of kids. All all my grandkids had incredible things you know, to say on the day. My my, my Etta pulled me down to her and whispered in my ear just before I went because she thinks I'm, I, I was once a pirate dumped on Necker Island years ago and um, uh, by other nasty pirates and we're, we're, and the kids were sworn to secrecy about that. Anyway, she pulls me down and says, Papa, do you know you're going to be the first pirate ever to go into space? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, anyway. Amazing. Um, and, and then Lola, who's a three years old, um, Papa, you've come back for me. <laughs> anyway, I love, I know, just oh. the, out of the voice of kids, it's just uh, too, too magical. Yeah. Um, but, um, but it was, you know, I'm, I'm a Peter Pan fan and, and to be floating in, floating in space, um, uh, looking back at this incredible earth that we live on was um, yeah, certainly, certainly um, mind blowing and, you know, the, the best, best. But yeah, one of the best, if not the best moment of my life. It's just incredible. So what's your next big dream? Ooh, um, I think I just don't want to, I don't want to waste, waste the um, position I find myself in. And, um, you know, I mean, look, it sounds like a model, a model on the stage. I would love to have it. My next big dream would be to see how, how the, how the Ukraine war could be, could be stopped and 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 uh and to you know never stop thinking about you know even 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 if it's not possible for individuals like us to stop it but but to keep asking the questions to keep coming up with ideas to see you know is there is there a way of um is 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 there a way of a stopping this conflict but just stopping future conflicts um i I met that incredible lady uh, two weeks ago who was uh in Vietnam when she'd been she was eight years old running down the street having been palmed and her clothes had been burnt off of her um, and that iconic horrendous picture uh, and yeah I, I, I spent some time talking to her and um, and you know that war was diabolical and 
um, and Robert McNamara, who had started that war on his, you know, six months before he died, said that um, he should be prosecuted for war crimes for perpetuating um, the Vietnamese war. And, and, and I mean, just looked looked straight to camera and did the most powerful one half hour talk. And he did that as a as as, as an attempted message to Bush Jr. to get him to stop. Um, the invasion of Iraq. He said, you're going, to, you're going to make the same mistake as I made um, over Vietnam. And I'm afraid the same mistake got made with Iraq. Um, and, um, and so, uh, yeah. And so having learned, having lived, lived through those wars and now seeing this war, um, uh, you know, um, the, el- the elders and the B team um, and the new now organizations we're involved with, we'll, we'll do every, every, everything we, we can and they can. Um, to to see how, how they could be helpful or or um, they, how they can contribute. Looking back at yourself sitting at the back of the class, aged fifteen, struggling with what was going on in the blackboard, what do you wish you'd known then that you know now? Do you know? I don't wish anything actually. I've I've, I've honestly um, would not change one one iota about the life I've led. Um, I've been incredibly uh, incredibly blessed and 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 you know blessed with dyslexia um you know blessed blessed with faults you know blessed with um with uh, positive things as well um and um and i, I really genuinely wouldn't change a thing uh, not everything's worked out as i as, as i had planned it um but you, you you're just i'm learning 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 all the time and um and and life is you know so fascinating as a result. You've been listening to What I Wish I'd Known in association with Speakers for Schools, the youth social mobility charity that provides inspirational talks and work experience opportunities with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson. And our guest on this episode is Richard Branson. The series producer is Anya Pierce. If you enjoyed what you heard, why not pick up a copy of our book, What I Wish I'd Known When I Was Young? Or you can follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. And of course, you can listen back to all our previous episodes on the Free Times Radio app or download them from wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.